uh, the one, uh, well, at least my first opportunity to say Happy New Year to you. I was gone last week. We take a vacation with our family every year about this time over New Year's. And uh, we didn't get an opportunity last year because of my health. And so this was a big year for us to take all nine of us, so all the spouses and, and grandson, we all, all got a chance to go out and uh, experience the, the beautiful sunshine and the beaches and, and uh, really loved our time and did some great reading, did some hiking, um, felt like I really got refreshed, you know, and you just sit and you relax and you, you take in and read some great books. I read a Stein, Steinbeck, I was going to say a Steinway, I don't play the piano, but I read a Steinbeck and a Hemingway and uh, read a, another great book by Dallas Willard and one by John Mark Comer and just several books that I've been just wanting to, to read. So it was an opportunity to do that. So I hope you had some great time as well with your family and um, some relaxing time to uh, be refreshed. There's nothing like that. And um, also an opportunity to journal, to think and to write. And I always write out just pages and pages of notes and things I'm reading and um, prayers and, and some thoughts and some goals and all of that. And, and at the beach, James reminded us of probably about this time, we've, we've probably reneged on all of our, our New Year's resolutions. But I have a new one for you this morning. If you failed on all the other ones, maybe you can do this one. So here it is. It's a prayer. And uh, it's a prayer for 2019 that actually comes out of a passage of Scripture that I read that I was motivated to study on the basis of a book I read by Dallas Willard called Life Without Lack. It was just a very, very profound book for me, and I read it over and over and over again. And then I found this Colossians chapter 1, 9 to 12 passage that seemed to just perfectly describe what it is that this book was talking about. And here it is. I wonder what you're praying about in 2019. Paul has a suggestion in Colossians 1. Here is the prayer that Paul prays over the church. If Paul could pray one prayer over the church, this is the prayer. We'll wait on that slide, by the way. Thank you. We're going to look at that in a second. Thanks, Brandon. But here it is. It's he's praised that you might join in on a life-changing encounter with God through Jesus Christ. Think about that. You might be thinking, you know, I've already done that. Now, that's really interesting, but I've already accomplished that. I've already entered into a life-changing relationship or encounter with God through Christ. I have done that. But that's not the objective of this prayer. The objective of the prayer is not to communicate that you've already done it, but that you continue to do it. Not I have done that, but I am doing that. You are entering into, on a daily basis, a life-changing encounter with God through Christ Jesus. See, that changes things, doesn't it? It's not just a transaction that's happened in your life. It is an encounter that you continue to have. And that's what Paul says. Let me read it out of the message. I love this translation. Here it is. In Colossians 1.9, if you're following along in the New American Standard or the NIV, uh, you'll get a different perspective. And I'm going to switch over to the New American Standard in a minute as I begin to teach this passage and four things that we can do to continue to maintain, to have a life-changing encounter with God through Christ. But here it is in the message. Be assured that from the first day we heard of you, heard of you we haven't stopped praying for you. Here's the prayer. Asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will. So he's praying for knowledge. So acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. 
we pray that you'll live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. I like that picture. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. There's a relationship there, even in the message is describing, as you learn how God works more and more, you're growing in your knowledge, it says you will learn how to do your work. There is a relationship between what you know and what you do. And that's what Paul is doing. He's bringing those two together and describing an encounter with God that's life-changing because it's far more than knowledge. It's encountering God in that knowledge. And that makes all the difference in the world. Now, that's what I've been thinking about. That one idea. And I want, to, I want you to hold on to that. Think about it. Wrap your head around that. That's what I want to talk about this morning. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul, not to grim strength or gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. It's strength that endures the endurable and spills in and over into joy. Thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. It's a beautiful passage because it really does create life change. Something changes. And then later it goes on, the next passage, which we're not going to spend a lot of time on, but God rescues us, to build context, God rescues us from the dead and alleys and dark dungeons. He sets us up in the kingdom of the son he loves so much, the son who got us out of the pit we were in got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. So in the context here, Paul is saying something about this encounter, but first of all needs to build a context. Says in order to have the encounter, you need to understand something. Jesus is king. He's king over all dominions, over all thrones. He's the one who gets us out of the pit. Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah. He is the Lord of the cosmos. Now, what Paul is about to say is that's true, but it may not necessarily mean he is the Lord of your life. He is not the king in your life. And so Paul is going to then describe how to bring the lordship, the kingship of Jesus into your life. That's what he's doing in this passage. In chapter 1, verse 23, I'm switching to the New American Standard because at the end of this passages he describes how Jesus reconciled us in the flesh through his body through death in order to present before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach verse 23 if if indeed you continue in faith firmly established and steadfast that's the goal if you firmly are steadfast and firmly established in the faith See, Paul uses two particular words. One is hupomone, which means to stand up under. In James chapter 1, when you go through trials, what are you supposed to do? You're to remain in the trial, to stand up under, to remain firm in the trial. It's like, stand, it's like a pillar that just remains. It's there, it's strong, it's holding up the foundation. And we are to hold up, hang on, and that's the idea of our faith, to hold on, be firm, stand firm, steadfast. Not wavering, it says. That's the other word. That's the goal. And this idea of not moving away from the hope, this, that particular word 
uh, it describes this idea of not shifting from one thing to the other. It's a, it's, a, it's a person that's shifting or being pushed around by waves, maybe a ship in the sea that's being literally pushed and thrashed around. You're firm, you're not being pushed, or you're not shifting. You're not a shifter from day to day. That's the objective. So the question is, how do we get there? Chapter 1, 9 to 12, describes that you've been invited, but you have to take the opportunity. Now, I thought about this. This is where we are going this morning in chapter 1, that that he prays that we all would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And, And I'm thinking, okay, well, that's great. But how do you really communicate that? How do I get that in your heads? What picture can I draw in your minds? So I'm on my walk this week, and I'm, trying, I'm thinking way out of the box, which I always do. I like doing. And I, for some reason, the golden ticket came into my mind. I don't know why. I don't know why Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory showed up in my mind, and I'm thinking this is really risky. It's a really odd story about some strange, mysterious, mysterious man who stays to himself making chocolates for children who's enslaved these, these indigenous small tribe of small people to make the chocolate. And it's a really weird story when you think about it. But Roald, Roald Dahl in 1964 wrote this story for children. And I thought, what kind of a man writes a story like this about this experience of being a small child and having their dreams come true? Think of it. Put yourself in your childhood experience, and the one thing you crave more than anything else is chocolate or candy. I mean, that's your life, just the sweets, right? Every kid loves sweets and chocolate and candy. And he's thinking, you know, Roald Roald Dahl is thinking about this child and what they crave most, and this young boy, Charlie, gets the opportunity. Where did all this come from? Well, it's interesting, if you look at his life, he actually was born in Wales. He was in the Royal Air Force in World War I. He was actually a, uh, a flying ace. So he was a war hero. But he had a lot of tragedy in his life. His sister died. His father died. He was married. His daughter died. Tremendous hardship and difficulty. But then he writes this children's book about wonderment, about what every child craves more than anything else, sweets, candy. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. We know it as Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory because it was changed for the play in the movie. I wonder if his loss and pain motivated him to write this story. To give hope for those who could easily miss out because of hopelessness. And I wonder if the opportunity is there right here as Paul is describing that we have been given something an opportunity into the knowledge of God that produces an experience or an encounter that will change your life. Really, seriously. I know it's a stretch, but but stay with me on this. Dallas Willard describes this thing as really the problem. And the problem that we have today is that we've reduced Christianity to an intellectual ascent to certain propositions. This is the way things are, and I believe them to be, but I don't experience them. And that's what Willard says is the problem in his book, Life Without Lack. He's describing Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How do you live a life without want, without lack? You must get to know the shepherd. 
It's all based upon an experience and an encounter with the truth of who God is. Not simply an intellectual assent to what you know to be true. That's Willard. So this then is a blueprint for bringing the lordship of Jesus into our lives. Jesus is king of the cosmos, but he is the king of your lives. See, you grow in it, Paul's saying, day by day, increasing in knowledge. It's a daily pursuit that changes your life. So you grow incrementally, small steps towards growing in your encounter with God. And as you do this, Paul is describing that things come together in your life. There's joy and there's all sorts of stuff and strength and perseverance and, 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 and all things that you get, knowing his will and, and bearing fruit, living in the orchard, as the message Bible says. But you've been given the golden ticket. Christ has given you and offered you a golden ticket. The gospel story parallels this children's factory fantasy, a chance to meet the creator of all that is good and all that we crave, really deeply crave. Read any of C.S. Lewis and you'll understand what I'm talking about. There's a deeper craving that's, that's underlining, underlying our lives that we sometimes have lost completely by other things, lesser things. So what do we do in this? How do we get back? How do we grow? How do we get to James 1, 17, the God of the perfect gifts? Every perfect thing comes from the Father from above. Every perfect gift comes from God. How do we get back to that? Well, here's four things. The first thing we find in this passage is, and I'm following kind of the, the, fan, the, child's, the children's story fantasy line by my titles here, but the first one is cash in the golden ticket. You got to cash it in. And, and what, where Paul comes up with that here is for this reason, I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That's cashing in the ticket. The ticket is the knowledge of God's will. It's the knowledge. God gives us this knowledge. Uh, in in uh, Dahl's book, there's a couple great lines. Uh, and, and by the way, he was not a great writer because he was criticized as a young person going through school. One of his teachers said that he was actually a poor writer because he used words out of context and changed their definitions. So, he, it, so it's a very odd style of writing. I mean, really, when you think about some of the language and some of the dialogue, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But it really does when you think like a child and you think out of the box something more. And so in the book early on, he says, you should never, never doubt something that no one is sure of. So be open. If you're doubting in this moment that it's not possible to have an ongoing, powerful encounter with God through his word, hang on. Wonka, Mr. Wonka says, don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything he wanted. You know this line, right? Remember this in the movie? Charlie Bucket, what happened? Mr. Wonka, he lived happily ever after. He got everything he wanted. The ticket is right here in the passage. It's being filled with the knowledge of God. That's the ticket. Dahl describes the ticket in the book. He says, it was a very beautiful thing, this golden ticket, having been made, so it seemed, from a sheet of pure gold, hammered out almost to the thinnest of paper. On one side of it, printed by some clever method in jet black letters, was the invitation itself. 
signed from Mr. Wonka. I mean, the way he describes the ticket, it's just, you just want in. You want to know more about this, don't you? It's like, where does this ticket take me? So we go back to the passage of being filled with the knowledge of God, which is an encounter with God. Now, how do I illustrate that? Let me illustrate it out of a book that I read this last week by John Mark Comer called His Name is God. He writes a book describing Exodus chapter 34 in this powerful, famous encounter that Moses has with God on Mount Sinai. Moses wants to see God face to face. It's time for us to meet God. It's time you and I have a sit-down, face-to-face conversation. Can you imagine the dialogue? And so God says, all right, go there, go over there in the cleft of the rock, and I'll pass by you. Moses doesn't get to see God, but what Moses gets is an encounter with God in what God says about himself. That's profound. Think of it. It wasn't that he saw his face. He encountered him with the truth of who God is. That's the point. That's the point of the whole passage right there. And this is what it says, one of the most famous Old Testament passages. Be assured that from the first day we heard of, excuse me, reading the passage again, let me turn to the next page. When the Lord passed by in front of him, he proclaims something. He doesn't appear, he proclaims. And in the proclamation, Moses experiences God. Are you with me? And here it is. This is what he says. The Lord, the Lord God, he, twice. The Lord, the Lord God. It's who I am. It's my name. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands or forgives iniquity, transgressions and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, punished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and the grandchildren of the third and fourth generation. There, there must have been something within that knowledge of God, God describing himself. Let me, Moses, describe who I am to you. And it changed Moses' encounter with God. That's what filling up in the knowledge of God means. Because in our text, it says that you may be, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and, and understand so that you may walk. So there's something that happens here in this train that's going to that's going to result in your ability to walk. But he uses the word to know the knowledge of his will, the knowledge. And it's not gnosis, which is your typical word for knowledge, which is intellectual assent, intellectual knowledge, but gnosko, to know him experientially. I mean really, to experientially know someone is to know something about them and then you encounter them in that knowledge see i know a lot about my wife we've been married 32 years and i know the kind of vacation she likes to take and it's a clean hotel it's got to look nice it's 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 all about the way it's decorated you know i mean there's certain things you know um she, she loves sitting and reading, but she needs shade. She loves shade. So sitting out in the sun for days and days on a beach is not her ideal vacation. So there's compromise, right? So there's an umbrella that the kids went out and rented her 
so that she could have her umbrella while we sat out in the sun and enjoyed the beach. And, and so we, I, I know what she likes, and, and I was worried about the final place that we ended up, and was it gonna, the kids all went home, and we had a few days together, and, and were you, was she going to like this? And you know, I really like hotels, and, and it turned out to be just beautiful. It turned out to work. And it's about knowing. It's about experiencing through what you know to be true. That's the way we encounter God. I remember in college, I heard one of the best sermons I ever heard, messages, when I was part of a, a Christian club on campus. And uh, uh, the, the director was talking about marriage and he used Genesis chapter 1, verse 22, where it says that God brought woman to man. He's talking about marriage. God brought woman to man. And I never lost that thought. I kept thinking, ruminating about the fact that God brings woman to man and it's a gift. The idea is a gift. Your spouse is a gift from God to you. And so I remember in college, you know, I went through some relationships. The first one was a complete failure on the very first uh, knock on the dorm door asking a, a girl out that, to go to the, um, the sorority fraternity party and and she said no. And that was, that was easy to walk away from that one, right? That was pretty easy. And I, I, I knew she was from Orange County, and she came from a very, very wealthy home. Her father owned a helicopter and was in, had a, his own Orange County, Irvine um, real estate company. And, and though I had never known her before, I thought, well, wow, gosh, I'm from Palos Verdes. We're close by. Maybe this might work out. Well, no, it didn't. And she didn't go out with me, and that was the end of that. But then there's other relationships, and I remember in the middle of my, my college experience wondering whether God really has that one for me that he's going to bring that one to me, and I remember having that dialogue, that encounter with God through what I know to be true of him, and that was the moment that I was willing to let go and trust him in the next year Denise and I met, and he brought her to me as a gift. See, in the knowledge, we experience God, and then we have an opportunity to trust him. So that's number one. But here's the critical part. Here it is. What Dallas Willard says in Life Without Lack about this idea of knowledge and encountering God, he says the best way to do it is memorization. Memorizing scripture. He says it's the primary way that we encounter God in knowledge. Scripture, memory. We memorize all sorts of things. So I jump ship in Hong Kong and make my way over to Tibet. I get on a course in the Himalayas. I tell them I'm a looper, you know, a projok, a caddy. So who do you think they give me? They give me the Lama, the Dalai Lama. Twelfth son of the Lama, bald head, long roads, striking the Lama. He hits it into 10,000 foot crevasse. You know what he says? He says, Gunga, Gunga Lunga. You have no idea what I'm saying, but I'm quoting a line from Caddyshack. And I could keep going and get to the end of that line, and it's a great scene. It's hilarious. We memorize what we want to memorize. So why are we not filling our minds with the Word of God and then encountering God in that? That's what I want to challenge you for 2019. As Jazz spoke last week, and Bill as well reminded us of Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, of going through that slowly, each day through the year, of bringing to remembrance the truth of God's word in your life. So pick a passage. So let's, let, let me show you my little trick that I learned when I was very young. Actually, Bill McPhee helped me learn Psalm 123 when I was in high school. And the whole high school group learned Psalm 23. One, 
Oh, Lord, you've examined my heart. You know where I am. You know where I'm every moment. You, you chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to sit and rest. Every moment you know where I am. If I run the farthest, farthest motion, um, if I go to the place of heaven, you are there. If I go to the place of the dead, you're there, there. If I ride the farthest winds to the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me. And I could go on and on. Psalm 139, I just know it. I memorized it in high school. It comes back and it becomes, it becomes a quiet time in the moment. So let's practice. How do I do it? I started memorizing Romans. I got to chapter 6. It took me three years. And as I walked to class, I would memorize it. And here was my technique. Let's see that slide. So let's look at the very first verse, Colossians 1, verse 9 of the passage we're looking at. And I want to quickly look at this with you. For this reason, also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, what I do, here's what I do. I take a three-by-five card, and then I write. Now, it's blocked a little bit from something, and I don't know what that something is, but there's a T there. Or no, an F. Four, and there's an FTR, and I don't know why that's being blocked, but it should be FTRA for this reason also. Since the day, see that? S-T-D-W-H-O-I. Since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased, W-H-N-C, to pray, look at that, continuing on, ask to pray, uh, we have not ceased to pray, did I, did I mess up? It should be an F for you. The F goes right there. Sorry, I just did this a second ago. T-P-F-Y, to pray for you. And continuing on. And to ask that, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I'm reading the bottom line. So you grab it really fast. You read it for this reason also since the day we have heard of it. F-T-R-A, for, for, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, F-Y, and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Do you see how I'm doing that? So when you move from the, the text to this, this abbreviated uh, text or abbreviated way to memorize the text, what happens is you are... You are beginning to group words together to memorize them. And then pretty soon, what do you have is the next slide. For this reason, also F-T-R-A. Are we in the next slide? Yeah, so it's, it should be F-T-R-A. For this reason, also since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Do you follow along? You can do that all throughout Scripture. You can take a whole section of scripture and do that. I want to challenge you to take a passage of scripture and come up with a way to do that. This is my way to do it. I write on three by five cards and then I can carry that around and I can look at it again. And the key to scripture memory is review, 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 review. And it will begin to soak into your life. Number two, step beyond the iron gates. So what happens is in this filling with the knowledge of God with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, you get spiritual wisdom and understanding. You get something. Knowledge experienced turns to wisdom and understanding. It turns to something that you now know to be true. You really believe it. You get it. 
But you have to make contact. Dallas Willard says you have to open your heart and mind to encounter God in his knowledge, the knowledge of him. In John 17, verse 3, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that you may know him. Now, it's not know, everybody knows Jesus. So he's not talking about knowing Jesus. He's talking about experiencing Jesus, encountering. It's, it's a contact that happens when you connect with the scripture personally. Remember that movie, Contact? Jodie Foster plays um, Dr. Ellie Arroway. And she's a scientist, and she's made contact with, uh, with another life form or being outside of our cosmos. And, and the whole objective is to go find it, and they build this, this centrifuge rocket ship or whatever it is that's supposed to send her on a trajectory to go communicate and she doesn't get to go because the question was asked during the, the uh, trial period is, do you believe in God? And she says, no. But the person that was supposed to go doesn't get to go. She ends up going, and she encounters. She makes contact, and nobody believes her because she comes back, and she, they don't think she actually left. See, you don't even have to leave this planet to encounter God. When you, when you hear him calling out to you, then you encounter him. Let me give you an example. So I've been reading uh, John Mark Comer. His name is God, and I'm learning how to um, really understand God's name for me personally. See, Elohim is his name in Genesis chapter 1. He's the creator, the self-existent one, the all-powerful Elohim that creates the universe out of nothing, ex nihilo. But in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham calls him Yahweh. Because Yahweh is a personal name. He becomes the friend of God. See, the Jews were afraid to use Yahweh because there's no vowels. So it's, it's, it, you don't know how to really pronounce Yahweh if you don't have any vowels. And so they were afraid to mispronounce it. So they decided to come up with Adonai and Jehovah as substitutes, which really mean Lord. And a lot of us just call Jesus Lord, our Lord. Well, God, Lord. We say Lord a lot in our prayer our prayer life, but it's a title. But maybe go deeper and look at it from the perspective of friend. And so I'm on a plane. I don't like turbulence. I never have. Denise is fine. She's watching a movie, and I'm gripping the seat. And I know everything's going to be fine. But for some reason, I need Yahweh. And so I'm thinking of that. I'm going to pray to Yahweh, my friend. And I had this little encounter with Yahweh in my seat that brought me a sense of confidence. And I, and, and as I heard him kind of just reminding me, you're going to look back, you're going to be fine, you're going to get off the plane, everything's going to be great. It's not great in the moment, you don't like it, but trust me. And he came and he brought comfort. That's the encountering that happens when we move in this knowledge of God to learn his will that becomes now what? Spiritual wisdom and understanding. You begin to apply it in your life. Number three, wander the wonderment of your new home. I think of, of this Willy Wonka and just the wonderment and, 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 and Charlie was invited in. Um, Dahl says, I don't want a grown-up person at all. A grown-up won't listen to me. He won't learn. He will try to do things his own way and not mine. So I have to have a, have a child. I want a good, sensible, loving child, one to whom I can tell all my precious candy-making secrets while I'm still alive. And Charlie gets invited in 
to wander the wonderment of this new home. And he gets, at the end of the, the, the book, he gets invited in to live in the empire of the factory, right? So he brings his family. And what I see in this passage and how I find that in this passage is this idea to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To walk in a manner worthy. That's the idea of wandering in the wonderment of your new home is a walk. Is a walk for you something that you dread? Is it limitations? Is it obligations? Or is it wonderment? See, a walk in Christ can either be a limitation or a wonderment. If you open up your mind to the encounters with God, it will be a wonderment. Where do I get that from in this passage? Two things. First of all, Paul says at the very end here in uh, verse 12, he says, giving thanks to the Father who qualified you. You have been qualified to live in his eternal home. Now the word qualified means to be made worthy. And this is important. You did not make yourself worthy. He made you worthy. In fact, your worthiness as God sees you is Christ's worthiness on you. You are in Christ. You did not earn it. You cannot earn it. You cannot do anything to get it. Christ gives it to you. You have been made worthy. You have been qualified to enjoy the wonder of life in God. That's the first thing that I see. The second thing that I see, if you back up a few verses, you'll see this idea of being pleased in him. See that word pleased? The idea that God is pleased in you. I was reading a book that I have read several times, and this is a short article, and the first, the first chapter is The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis. And so I've read this over and over again. I read all the Lewis's books when I was in college, and I actually studied Lewis. I, I attended a church where the pastor during... In the middle of the day, he would, he would have lectures on Lewis. And so I would organize sometimes my classes around his lectures so that I could go to the C.S. Lewis lectures by Dr. Earl Palmer, First Presbyterian Berkeley. It was an amazing experience. And I learned the theology of C.S. Lewis and read all of his stuff, but I never understood the weight of glory until yesterday. Read it again, and I went, oh my goodness, here it is. The idea of glory in Lewis's mind is that God has given us glory because he's pleased in us. He is pleased with you. And the glory that shines on us is that God is pleased with you. Now, follow me here. Follow me. Because in this exchange of feeling that God is pleased with you, guess what happens? Our desire for him grows. See, Lewis says, the Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. In other words, we've always thought in the Christian life, we just got to put down those desires. We got to put down the life. We got to die to ourselves. We have to deny ourselves. And we focus on that. And Lewis says, that's not the end. See, that's part of the Christian life is to die to yourself. Pride, self-focus, absolutely. But it's not the end of the Christian life. The end of the Christian life is what? Desire. To desire a God who is pleased in you. God is pleased in you. And so he says in this book, we're like the mercenary who's, who wants so much to please God. 
to be obedient to God. But the mercenary dies away and describes the Christian life like a schoolboy who's learning grammar, who's working hard through school, trying to be good, but then something shifts. And this is what he says. Poetry replaces grammar. Poetry is far better than grammar. Gospel replaces law. Longing transforms obedience. It's the weight of glory. That's it, the weight of glory. You know what the weight of glory is? And, and this is the great discovery. The weight of glory is that deep desire, deep burden within us to please a God who is obsessed with us. And so the way Lewis describes it is it's a deep desire, and that's the wandering in the wonderment of God. That's walking in freedom. Because he's pleased with you, he becomes your greatest desire, and what you want to do is please him. And the last thing that you get in this exchange, which is wonderful, is that now you bear fruit, it says, in every good work, increasing the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Look at the abundance. See, the fourth thing is, enjoy the pleasures of the kingdom. Enjoy the pleasures of the kingdom. Dahl writes, rainbow drops, suck them, and you can spit in six different colors. Think of it. Taking in what God gives you and you spit it out in different colors of joy, confidence, patience, steadfastness. All the things that we crave, we get to enjoy the pleasures of the kingdom. And here's, the, here, here's what you got to know. To the degree you understand the lordship of Jesus in your life, in true experience, your life will hold together. These are all the ways you'll see your life holding together. To the degree... You don't understand the lordship of Jesus in your life. Through lack of true experience, your life will not hold together but become chaotic. So 2019 is a prayer, an opportunity to get into him if you're not able to hold things together in yourself. Get into him. That's what we're doing. My prayer for you is that we get into him all year long and to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding that bears, that, so we learn to walk in a manner that's pleasing to him so that we bear fruit and all of these things are part of our joy. Let's pray. Father, as we go to the communion table, we, um, we are reminded that it's all possible through this transaction that's happened, this reconciliation. You've, you've qualified us. We are worthy because of what we celebrate and experience this morning. The, the elements that represent your body, your blood, sacrificed for us on the cross. The wonderment of wandering in your kingdom is available and open to us because of you. Amen. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to sing a fantastic song right now. And right after that one, when we continue worship, you're free to join us at the communion table.